Well, Sim, that hymn was chosen for you to be speaking. And every time that hymn is sung, I can't sing it. It happened once before when you were away. And when we sing those words, the Father turned his face away. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. What a Savior we have. Let's open with prayer. Father, how can we ever express our thankfulness for you having given Jesus for us to save us from our sins? You've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might be able to live this Christian life <clears throat> with victory and with an enthusiasm that will affect those that contact us. May this be what our lives are like. May we take stock today as to where we stand with you. Is our life devoted to you? We're challenged so many times, Father, by this. I just ask that you would use the word today to bring about conviction in all of our hearts that we may live lives that are worthy of the calling wherewith we have been called. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I trust that this morning <clears throat> you have come to be challenged. Because I'm going to propose a challenge this morning. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, and I don't hesitate from challenging everyone this morning. Because this same challenge I have faced many times in my life. You see, we can begin the Christian life and we have great enthusiasm and fervor for the Lord. But those of us that have been on the road for any length of time realize that it doesn't always last for very long. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Is today the brightest day in your Christian life? Are you having to go back in your mind to a day that was brighter? This is a challenge for us all. When we first came to Jesus and received him as our Savior, we were on fire. We wanted to tell everybody. We began to read the scriptures and they came alive. And the Holy Spirit began to connect scriptures from one to the other and bring to our attention things that we needed to know. And the life, the Christian life was exciting. But as time goes on, something happens. We're going to have a look at the letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Sardis this morning. 
And this is basically the challenge that was given to them in this letter. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. But I would like you to think about this. All the letters to the churches, to the seven churches in Revelation, were read out in every single one of those churches. What if this week, those that God has set up in this church as messengers received the letter today, this week, and says you don't measure up. The challenge, first of all, is for those in leadership. I stand here this morning knowing the responsibility that this takes because it's not only what I may preach, what I may say, but how I say it. Because this is God's flock, not mine. But imagine receiving this letter, and it's from Jesus himself. And now I have to get up this Sunday morning and read the letter. But not only that, in the day in which we live, everyone else has read that letter this week on WhatsApp. It's out there. And we're faced with the reality of what the Christian life is all about. Not only would I have to read out the letter to the church in Norwich this morning, but all the other six churches are also reading the same letter that I received this week. And we could be reading their letter this week to the other six churches and we can point fingers and say, see, that denomination doesn't add up. That group of people, they're not what they ought to be. And yet all the time, I haven't looked at what God's estimation is of me in this situation in this church. Do we measure up? This is not in order to discourage anyone. Please don't be discouraged. This message is to encourage us to go back to the days when we were brightest. And everyone here that is saved can go back to a day like that. I went through times when you would look at me and you'd say, there's not much to Dave. I wonder if he's even saved. And yet at one time, I was so bright. I was so concerned for the salvation of souls. At the age of six, I witnessed to my best friend that was 11 years old at the time. I was so excited to tell him what had transpired in my life. And after time passes, and we go through difficult times, and we begin to lose that brightness that was once there. And that's what Jesus is writing to the church in Sardis. And you know, it's, there's only six verses. If you count them, there's seven sentences. That's all. Seven sentences. But there's a lot in it. 
And in every single one of the churches that Jesus writes to, he begins with revealing himself first of all, because the revelation of him is the answer to the condition of that particular church. So we begin to read this. I'll read it right through first, and then we'll go back to verse 1 again. To the angel or the divine messenger of the church in Sardis write, this is from the Amplified Version, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a name. You've got a reputation. That you're alive, but in reality, you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen and reaffirm what remains of your faithful commitment to me, which is about to die, for I have not found any of your deeds completed in the sight of my God or meeting his requirements. So remember and take to heart how you have received and heard. Keep and obey them and repent. Change your sinful way of thinking and demonstrate your repentance with new behavior that proves a conscious decision to turn away from sin. So then, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But, and I like the buts in Scripture, but you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, that is, contaminated their character and personal integrity with sin, and they will walk with me dressed in white because they are worthy, they are righteous. He who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God will accordingly be dressed in white clothing, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. And I will confess and openly acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels, saying that he is one of mine. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I can't imagine having received that letter this week and have to stand up in front of you and read it. Jesus begins this by reminding them. He says, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. That is, Jesus himself is complete in every sense of the word. The fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell in him. He says, this is who I am. I know all about you. I have the seven spirits of God. How do we know it's Jesus? Revelation chapter 5 tells us. John says, I looked and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth from the earth. Jesus sees everything. He knows everything. Sometimes we forget but he knows our heart. We can put on a facade and pretend that we're something that we're not, but he's able to take what's inside and open it up and expose it to ourselves. Probably everybody else saw it. We didn't see it. God exposes it to us 
And he shines a light on what's happening inside. And he knows if what you're doing is real. If your heart is really for God. Or if you've got one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. He says, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and has the seven stars. Which we find in chapter 1. The seven stars are the seven churches in his right hand of authority. Jesus has authority over the churches. And those of us that are in any position of leadership ought to remember Jesus is the one in charge. We are the under-shepherds. There's going to come a day when the, the chief shepherd is going to come and we're made accountable for what we have, messages we've given. Not only what we've been given, but how we have given it. Is it in the spirit of love? But don't forget this. Jesus knows every heart in this room today, mine included. The number seven in Scripture always refers to completeness. So Jesus goes on in his letter to them, and he says, I know your deeds. Wow. Wow. Imagine Jesus coming, walking in those back doors today, coming up here and looking around, and he says, I know your deeds. I know what's in your mind. I know what your life has been like this week. He sees the good, and he sees the deficiencies. You have a name or a reputation that you're alive. But in reality, you're dead. Imagine entering into the Christian life and there be evidence of a reality of the Christian life in us. And yet, in God's viewpoint, you're dead. You see, we're all dead in our trespasses and our sins before we're saved. Is this what he's talking about? Is he talking about those that are within the church professing to be Christians and we put on a nice front and we fit the mold and we don't do this and we don't do that and we're living by all the rules and we're professing to be Christians and he exposes it and he says you have a reputation you've got a sign there saying this is a Baptist church in Norwich and it has a reputation that it's alive, but is it dead inside? This comes down to each of us as individuals. We must search our own hearts to see and to evaluate is what is true in us in evidence for the world to see and especially for God. So their profession was a name only without any evidence of any spiritual life. What a sad condition. He says to them, wake up. That means they're in a slumber. They're sleeping. The world is going by. They have no care nor recognition of those that are unsaved to reach them. Plus, no care for their fellow believer. He says, wake up and strengthen and reaffirm what remains of your faithful commitment to, to, to me. 
which is about to die. He doesn't say that this is all going to be resolved and you're going to be back to where you were before. But he says, strengthen and reaffirm what you've got left. You've already lost something because you've turned away from the Lord. You've got too wrapped up in church, churchy things. You've got too wrapped up in the world system. And he says, strengthen and reaffirm what you've got left. So we need to search and see what is left. How much have I lost? Can I get that back again? David says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Not my salvation. It was the salvation that God had given him. God has given us each salvation of our souls. David says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Have you lost your joy? Is it evident in your your life that you've lost the joy that you once had? This letter ought to waken us up, for I've not found any of your deeds completed in the sight of my God or meeting his requirements. Why did Jesus then reveal himself as the one who has the seven stars, the seven spirits? It's because it represents completeness. And but he's saying, but you, I have not found any of your deeds complete. Not one. Well. As we think of that word complete, it means that I've started something and I've tired of it and I've given it up. I go from one thing to another. I get started with something I never completed. I take up responsibility to do something and the next thing I've dropped it. Nobody can depend on me, nor can God. This is what he's talking about. I have not found your works complete. The answer is look to him. I'm complete. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in me. The only way that you're going to be pulled out of that circumstance is to look to me. Believe me, I've been there. I've been so low that the only place I could look was up. Maybe you'll have to get to that point where you're so low that the only place you've got is to look up. And when you look up, you see the one that has completed all the will of God on our behalf. And he says, use me as that example. Your life should be based on me. And he tells them, look to me. I'm the one that holds these seven. I'm the one. I've shown you that I've done everything and I've completed the will of God, which meant suffering and death so that you and I might come to salvation and have our sins forgiven. So he's telling them to that church, remember, take to heart the lessons that you've received and heard. Remember when you first gave your life to Christ, when you first gave your heart to him, and you were so enthused, 
Look back to the days when you first received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me interject with something here. I've mentioned this once before. It might have been in an evening service, so maybe most of you haven't heard it. Two summers ago, I was attending a study with about six or eight other fellows. And at the end of each session that we had together, we would each pray. And I will never forget this as long as I live. This is two years ago. That one particular day, my prayer, probably as usual, is short. If you're going to speak to God, get to it. He doesn't need flowery words. He knows what's on your heart anyway. And that day, I prayed and I asked God that he would show us how he felt about his church. I didn't think anything too much of it after that until probably three or four days after. And at the time, I was taking my buddy up to Stratford for chemo treatments. And in normal conversation, as we were discussing the Lord and discussing the Scriptures, and if I happened to mention the word church, my voice would break. I'd have tears running down my cheeks. It was involuntary. I couldn't help it. God began to give me a little idea, a little opening of the window of what the church was really like. That experience became so intense. Went on for, I'm thinking, at least six weeks that I could not even entertain the word church in my mind or I would break down. So finally I says, God, I can't take this anymore. He gave me to feel how he feels about the church. And he lifted it. I wouldn't have been able to speak like this this morning about it without breaking down in tears. And this is the heart of God in every single letter that Jesus writes to the seven churches. He sees the deficiencies. He sees the good, but he also sees where there needs to be correction. And he wants to reveal himself, Jesus Christ, as the one that's going to rectify the problem. If your focus is on anything else but Christ, you will stay in that dumpster. And you won't be able to get out of it. But if you turn and you focus your attention on Christ, things will change. And they do change overnight. But sometimes I've gone through a spell as much as two years. Where are you at? Do you need a revival in your own heart? Do you need to recommit? Not in your own effort, but saying, God, I can't change me. Cause me to be in an in influence in the world and those around me. Bring people into my path that I can speak to them about Christ. And you'll be surprised at how your life will change. But he's saying, remember, go back to those days. 
Keep and obey them and repent. We don't like that word. We think that's for our initial salvation. We repent, repent, and our sins are forgiven. We need to repent constantly. And I'll tell you how this comes about and the events of it. As you read Scripture, which, let me say, will be very difficult if you've got into a condition like he's writing about here, it will be very difficult to get back into the Scriptures and concentrate. I would be lucky if I could read a verse and it even stick. It's a battle to get back into it. But to repent means a change of the mind. So as you read and the Holy Spirit begins to communicate to you and show you things from the Scriptures, that at one time you experienced that, but you're not so bright now. And it was exciting to see what God was showing you through the Holy Spirit, through the Scriptures. You repented. You had to change your mind because the Scripture says that, but this is what I thought. This is what my church teaches. That's where I was brought up. That's what my parents taught me. No. When you read the Scriptures and it says something different, we all need to repent. We need to come back to the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say. We have to adjust our lives to what Scripture says. Don't try and fit Scripture into my life. It never works. I can continue in sin and have every excuse that I can find in the Scriptures to do what I'm doing. It doesn't work that way. We have to repent and change our minds based on what the Scriptures have said. So he says, change your sinful way of thinking and demonstrate your repentance with new behavior that proves a conscious decision to turn away from sin. So then, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. You're not ready to see the Lord. Hmm. It's going to come as a thief in the night. You're not expecting it, but he's coming. But you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, that is, contaminated their character and personal integrity with sin. And they will walk with me dressed in white because they are worthy, they're righteous. Isn't it wonderful that you can be living within a community, a Christian community, that has followed the world and allowed the world to come in. And we have been overwhelmed by the society in which we are living and are not standing against it. But he says, I have a few names. Are you one of the names? Are you one of the names in a church like that where he says, I've got a few names that have not followed all of that? That's a tough spot to be in when the majority is turning to the world and turning away from Christ, turning away from the Scriptures. And yet you're different. And he says, I have a few names. And he has a promise for those with the few. He who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God will accordingly be dressed in white clothing. White in Scripture 
and in Revelation is explained as the righteousnesses of the saints. He says, I will never blot out his name from the book of life, and I will confess and openly acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels, saying, He is one of mine. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, what about the book of life? I may not have the answer to this. I have some thoughts on it. But throughout Scripture, it appears from the Old Testament and through from the very beginning that there are books that God keeps a record of. Perhaps when we're born, our name is written in that book. This is only supposition on my part. But think it through. When we're born, our names are written in a book, in God's book of life. And God, through Christ, has reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their sins to them. He's not charging people with their sins. He wants mankind to be reconciled to him. And he's given us a lifetime in order to make that decision to be reconciled to God. So that name stays in that book. Or, here's the other possibility. Because in the end of Revelation, it tells us that the great white throne judgment, the books were opened. And then there was another book opened. And we'll have a look at that verse. But let me read this from Luke 10. This was Jesus speaking to his disciples. The 70 had gone out. And they administered, the demons had been subject to them. He says, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. The spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. This is a book of life. Philippians says, I ask you also, true yoke fellow, assist them who have contended along with me in the glad tidings with Clement also, and my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. The moment they believed in Jesus Christ, their names were registered in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name there? Have you received Christ as your Savior and Lord? Is your name then written in that book? This is the reference in Revelation 21. There shall by no means enter. And this is in reference to the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. There shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie into that city, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Once your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you have received an eternal redemption. Your salvation is eternal. And his promise to those that are overcome here is, there's no way that I'm going to erase your name from that book. There's no way. I will not blot your name out to reassure you no matter what happens, 
no matter to the depths that you may go, I'm not going to. But please wake up and listen. Change your mind. Get on board. Get on with the program. The gospel has to continue until the very last day. The day of grace has a limit. What a sad condition to think that we're alive but are dead as far as God is concerned. This is what Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. He could have written this to the church at Sardis. You have a fair appearance outside, but your heart is far away from me. Inside is dead men's bones. I hope this has been a challenge to you as much as it has been to me. Where do I stand now in my Christian life? Am I putting on a facade? Where is my heart? Is my heart in the world and that's where I spend most of my time? Or is my heart in the things of God? The things of the world are necessary, obviously. But is that our focus? Or is our focus on Jesus Christ? If we get into a position where we're down, where we're at the bottom and the only place we can look up, we need to see a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ to us. And that'll be the answer to pull us out of the doldrums. So let me remind you what he says. He who overcomes will be dressed in white clothing and I will never blot out his name from the book of life and I will confess and openly acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels saying that he is one of mine. Amazing to think. The love of a savior, he's one of mine. I'm going to close by reading the last verse of a hymn that's well familiar to all of us. The title is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The last verse goes like this, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander. Is that me? that you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy